Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. All right, welcome to a special episode of Boundless Body Radio and Carnivore Cast. Um, Folks ask me all the time, ask Scott, uh, this is Scott, about uh, my my personal journey with health and fitness. And uh, I like to keep Carnivore Cast more about the guests. So Casey, a, a dear friend and host of Boundless Body Radio, kindly offered to interview me um, about my bodybuilding journey. Um, and so hopefully this will be special, interesting for some of you. Some of you, this isn't your thing. Feel free to tune out. Um, but yeah, I get a lot of questions. So hopefully this is a helpful um, resource and a good overview of my journey. Yeah. Take it away, Casey. Awesome, Scott. Thank you so much for letting me do this. I emailed you earlier this week and just asked like, hey, have you gone on a podcast and talked about it? And we certainly wanted to talk about it on Boundless Body as well. And we can release this episode there. But you know, our, our show is so general and we talk about so many things in health and fitness, including the carnivore diet. But I just, I felt strongly that this message needed to be shared exactly with your audience. So I really appreciate the opportunity to hopefully ask some questions that they might also want to ask you and um, hopefully they can benefit from the information. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get started, I, I just want to say like, I absolutely love your show, Casey. Um, I listen to it all the time. I think you've done a fantastic job. No one is pumping out as much content as you do. It's insane <laughs> sometimes, um, but always great conversations and you're a fantastic interviewer. Well, thank you very much. I, I credit a lot of that to a call that I had with you the summer of 2020 before we launched and getting you know tips and tricks from you when, when that was just a concept. You were very pivotal in, in helping us to get started. So I really appreciate that and I appreciate the kind words. Have you ever been introduced on your own show? <laughs> Uh, I don't believe so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this would be a carnivore cast first. I have written an introduction for you. <laughs> Let's do it. Awesome. Scott Mazinski is the host of the fantastic podcast, The Carnivore Cast. The Carnivore Cast is a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers answering your burning questions and media's topics. I have always wanted to say that. That just felt so cool. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is one of my favorite podcasts, one that I never miss an episode of and have been listening to for years. I've even had the high honor of being a guest on his amazing show on November 24th of 2020. We have been lucky enough to host him on our primary podcast, Boundless Body Radio, twice. On episode numbers 5 and 42, and on our secondary podcast, the How to Make a Podcast podcast, on episode two of season two. Personally, Scott has been a mentor, an incredible source of knowledge, and an amazing friend for the last several years. You will absolutely not find a more knowledgeable, more caring, and more open-minded human on the planet. I'm so grateful for Scott, his work, and his friendship. And it is an honor to get to ask him a few questions about his recent journeys and experiences with fitness and gaining muscle. There's your intro. Wow. That, um... I, I don't think I'll ever live up to that, but I still appreciate it. And it's nice to hear. <laughs> nice to hear on your own show. <laughs> well, awesome. Um, and like I said, you know, being an avid listener of the show, I, I would really appreciate, you know, learning this from you because we learn from all your guests and you're such a good host. And so it, it's really nice to be able to ask the questions, but I'll, I'll really look forward to sitting back and listening to this and, and contemplating your journey because I think it's going to be really helpful for people. Um, so before we dive into what you've been doing recently, I think we need to go back a little bit and explore your, um, you know, your history with fitness, at least in brief. Can you tell us what that was? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, for me, an interesting thing we can maybe touch on, and, and I always like to ask other people is kind of the why of why you do fitness. You know, some people do it for health, some people do it for social, recreational enjoyment, some people do it to compete, some people do it just to look better naked, which are all all great reasons, but it, it certainly evolved for me. Um, but yeah, going back, I, you know, growing up, I was not 
a super active kid. I participated in some sports, um, but in general, I was kind of a chubby kid um, and I avoided a lot of activity. I wasn't really good at any sports. Um, and then in around eighth grade, um, when I was going through my angsty teenage years, wanting to drop out of school, start a rock band, um, I found rowing because um, a few of my friends were, were on the rowing team and they talked me into it. And it was, um, I, I thought it would be easy. I thought it was, you know, hanging out in boats on, on the pond, as we called it in my hometown, um, which was kind of like a, a beach lake kind of deal. Um, and I, I, I got hooked very quickly. Um, it became an obsession of mine. I was very competitive. I rode all year round, you know, no off seasons. It's a year round sport. Um, and I became a competitive lightweight rower and I was recruited, um, to, to university for it. Uh, I, I never did very well, but I worked my ass off. Um, and I really enjoyed the competitive aspect, um, the, the, the camaraderie, um, the team aspect. And I, I really pushed myself and I pushed my body and I, I ended up suffering for it. I had some debilitating back injuries. I had some hormonal issues, um, probably from a mix of the chronic dieting and the painkillers I ended up needing to use to, to get me through um, a lot of that, that pain and those back injuries. Um, and yeah, that, that kind of brought me to um, the end of college. And I, I you know, had this identity as a competitor, as an athlete as a lean person. And then I was going, you know, full thrust into the workforce job that I had to travel for management consulting, 80 hour weeks plus, um, on the road eating, you know, a lot of good food, quote unquote, in the sense that it was delicious, but not healthy. Um, and you know, high stress. And I was like, how am I going to stay, stay moderately fit? Um, and you know, coming out of rowing, my dad recommended, um, Dr. Doug McGuff's book and super slow training, um, which was in hindsight, an amazing introduction to strength training. Um, for folks who don't know, it's sort of the concept of doing very, very low volume of training in terms of sets, um, just kind of like one set to failure on each exercise, but doing it very safely and controlled and typically on machines or with body weight um, in a way that, that really keeps tension on the muscles and exhausts you, um, in a very safe way. Um, and I think that was a great introduction, you know, it was a great way to not get hurt. Um, but I, I think I probably clung to that style of training for too long. Um, and, and I actually trained for like that for, for four to five years. Um, and, and my, my diet was evolving at this time too. Um, so I'll pause there. I, I've kind of given a, a big introduction, but that's that's kind of how things started out. Wow. No, that's great. Um, for the listener, I like to keep very few books, um, really just the ones that I love. And that book that you mentioned, Body by Science, is sitting about 10 inches away from my head currently. It's one of the books that really changed my approach to personal training. And I don't do his style mm. all the time, but some of the principles he teaches are really interesting. And it's definitely influenced how I train since coming across that work. So it's cool that you found the same thing. You mentioned that your diet was evolving a little bit. We have to ask, you know, how did you find the carnivore diet and how yeah. did that come into play? Yeah. So coming out of, um, rowing where, you know, I was rowing six hours a day, um, and, and staying quote unquote in shape doing that. Whereas actually in hindsight, I was, was not in very good shape at all. Um, but I was, you know, lean, um, I, I, I could kind of eat whatever I wanted. It was, fairly high protein, high, high animal protein, but a lot of junk too, a lot of, a lot of carbs. And, um, so coming out of that, I wanted to find a way to, you know, stay fitter with less expenditure. Um, and so I, at the time, you know, Tim Ferriss's slow carb diet was kind of introduction for me. And then I found Mark Staley apple, um, and started following kind of a primal diet, uh, primal paleo diet for a while. Um, and that was kind of the start. And then, um, a big influence on me was actually Sam Feltham um, out of the UK. Um, and he had this show uh, called um, Smash the Fat, I think, where he, it was like podcast before podcasts existed. Um, it was on YouTube and he was interviewing um, like Tim Noakes and a lot of the big researchers um, who now are kind of in the keto space, but this was before keto was even a thing. Um, and he was basically um, advocating a, keto-ish diet, but higher in protein, just eat a lot of meat, 
eat green vegetables, you know, keep, keep fruits to a minimum, um, and, you know, add, add fats if you need to. And, you know, I was influenced by things like the serial killers movie, um, and that whole, whole view. And I was basically eating, um, a keto diet without any regard for, for my protein intake. Um, and then, you know, eventually in 2016 is when, uh, when Amber O'Hearn was interviewed on the two keto dudes podcast. Um, it was also, I was following, um, Ash Simmons, um, who's uh, high stakes uh, on, on Twitter. Um, and so the, they, um, turned me on to the concept of carnivore and I was already eating pretty close to it. Like I said, um, so I just kind of dropped the avocado and nuts and, uh, trace vegetables I was having here and there and, and gave it a whirl. Um, and the rest is history. That's great. And you were very strict on the carnivore diet for a long time. I understand you're a little yeah. bit more relaxed now. And I do want to talk about that a little bit later yeah. on, but how long were you very strict with the carnivore diet? I was incredibly strict for three years. Um, no cheats, no deviations, no keto foods, um, you know, barely ever any dairy. Um, and yeah, that's, then I started gradually reintroducing foods after that. Yeah. So when was that? Did you started to reintroduce foods and what was your experience like? That was 2019. Um, I was having a really hard time sleeping because I was so, um, full and like sweating from all the protein, even though I would eat most of my food pretty soon upon waking and less and less food throughout the day. Um, I was consulting with some experts on sleep, including, um, Seamland. Um, he, he's a guy in the space who's interesting and he recommended, you know, try maybe having like a banana before bed. Um, see if that would help keep your blood glucose more stable and have you not like wake up with like a surge of energy in the middle of the night. And so I started doing that. And, um, then I started, and I was also, by the way, at the time I needed like 3,500 calories just to sustain my weight. Um, and I find I couldn't tolerate more than about 150 grams of fat a day, at least on a long-term basis, um, without getting sick. Even if I tried different sources, I tried suet, raw suet, I tried everything. Um, and so I was eating just inanimate amounts of protein, um, which isn't great for you. Um, uh, you know, eating 300, 400 grams of protein a day, um, you run into a lot of issues, peeing all the time, sweating all the time. Um, and so I slowly started reintroducing carbohydrate sources um, using actually the Whole30 um, reintroduction protocol, which calls for introducing one food at a time, not one food group, one food um, for three days at a time, testing, making careful notes of your satiety, your mood, um, your digestion, and then going back to baseline and testing another food. Um, so I very gradually did that. I did bananas, I did honey, I did, um, I think white rice or no, I didn't even go to white rice at first. I did like another fruit, another fruit, maybe like cucumber, yogurt, et cetera. And I eventually got to like white rice and, um, some, some other carbohydrate sources. Yeah. Sounds very close to a vertical diet. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, um, for a long time. And, and then now I eat a lot of animal protein, animal protein at every meal. You know, sometimes it's in the form of whey protein powder, or yogurt, um, and you know, still a lot of beef and chicken. Um, but you know, now I have different goals to put on muscle, and my digestion is much better. And I find I can tolerate a lot more carbohydrates with it. That's great. So you mentioned lifting weights in the past, and kind of the goal to be fit and to be strong. But when did mm. actual like bodybuilding or growing more muscle become something you wanted to do? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, I always wanted to look better. And usually I felt I had too much fat and I wanted to be leaner and I wanted to look like, you know, um, at the time, some of the popular people in like social media and stuff were um, like Martin Birkin of Lean Gains um, and, and people like that, you know, just people with like a leaner kind of beach body, I, I'd say was kind of what I wanted to look like. Um, and so I started, you know, I, I did more volume of weightlifting. I started going three times a week, four times a week. Um, and I think that was around 2018-ish is when I started doing more of that, 2017, 2018. 
Um, and that's where it started to pick up and the goal started to shift. Gotcha. Was your intention to ever do a bodybuilding competition or was more just for the aesthetic of, of you know, day-to-day what you wanted to look like? Yeah, it was, it was my, totally my own aesthetic goals. I never had the intention of competing. Um, and, you know, my, what's nice is, is it's evolved. So it's, uh, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but, um, you know, my, my own perception of my body and also my goals for, for why I work out and why I do this have changed too. A lot of people ask me about how to make liver more tasteful and how to cook it or incorporate other organ meats on carnivore. Optimal Carnivore can help you do just that with their grass-fed organ complex. It was created by carnivores for carnivores. They start by sourcing 100% grass-fed organ meats from New Zealand, gently freeze-drying the organs and encapsulating them into convenient bovine gelatin capsules. Just six of these capsules a day is the same as eating an ounce of raw organ meat. I personally take these every single day, as does my wife. Even though we both eat liver and other organ meats, our ancestors would have eaten the whole animal. And this unique blend has nine different organs, including beef liver, brain, thymus, kidney, spleen, etc. And I think it's great to get a daily dose of these organs when you can. So it covers all your bases, whether you're at home or traveling. What's also cool is they plant a tree for every product sold, which helps the environment. So visit www.optimalcarnivore.com slash carnivorecast and use the code carnivore10 to receive 10% off your purchase. Thanks and back to the show. So in personal training and nutrition coaching, we tend to classify people into three different kind of types. Um, there's, mm. there's an endomorph type which tends to be a little bit more round. Um, you have the mesomorph type. They can build muscle a little bit more easily. It's kind of like that V-shape. Um, and we also have ectomorph, which an ectomorph tends to be very lean. They have other things that um, they they generally will tend towards. And so, so these are where you'll find endurance athletes, you know, rowing, I would definitely put in that category. These are high mm. metabolic types. They're easier to maintain leanness. Generally speaking, they can call, tolerate carbohydrates better. But one trademark about them is it is very difficult to get them to gain muscle. We call them hard mm. gainers. And I would classify you in that body type. So can you talk a little yeah. bit about the challenge that it has been for you and people of your body type to gain muscle? Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Um, so I think I I was like an ectomorph, but also kind of fat most of my life <laughs> um, or carrying too much body fat. So like the worst of all worlds. Um, and then, you know, I, I discovered coming out of college, um, a few years out of college actually, actually not a few years, like several years out of college. It was actually after I had started the carnivore diet. I'd been on the carnivore diet about a year, 2016, 2017. I'm trying to think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm just getting my timeline mixed up a little bit. So what happened was about 2014, 2015. So like a year out of college, I had been doing super slow training for a while, eating normally. I had a DEXA scan done because I wanted to assess what my body fat percentage was. Um, and the DEXA scan told me I was, you know, 155 pounds or 159 pounds, 20% body fat, which is fairly high for a male, but, you know, I, I thought I was lean. Um, I never really had abs. And what was also interesting is my, my bone density scores were three standard deviations below the mean. So I had osteoporotic, osteoporosis levels of bone mass um, as a, you know, 23, 24 year old male who eats plenty of meat, lifts weights, prioritizes his sleep. You know, I I had a high stress lifestyle. Yeah, sure. Um, But otherwise, you know, all good. And, you know, I I rode for eight years. So people think athlete, good bone density. Um, But I think it was the combination of, you know, the constant weight cutting and restrictive eating from rowing and just the sheer amount of cardio, like that puts a lot of stress on your body um, when you're doing that much that long. And probably the, the Aleve, um, the painkillers I was taking probably had an effect as well. So I, I had this bone density done and I was like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? I was worried. I went to an endocrinologist at Mass General Hospital in Boston um, and they did some hormonal tests and my testosterone was extremely low. Um, it was uh, like 140 nanograms per deciliter, um, you know, normal for 
all males, like up to age 80, <laughs> is included in this range is like 350 to like 850 or 350 to 900. And I was 150. Um, and the endocrinologist kind of said like, yeah, we don't really know what's going on. Take some calcium. See you later. Nothing really came out of that. So then I found carnivore diet. I was on the carnivore diet for like a year. You know, my body composition was improving. I was getting better, uh, but still not seeing a lot of results. Like you said, like really hard to put on muscle. And so then I, I went and um, I started reading more and more about testosterone replacement therapy, hearing about it on podcasts. I think somewhere around the keto sphere, I started hearing about it. Maybe it was um, Danny Vega, I think had uh, a guy from Florida on his podcast who was talking about it. And so I discovered this whole world and I started reading books about it. And I discovered, you know, a lot of the fear mongering around testosterone is actually unfounded and it can actually extend your life if you're, um, symptomatic and, and hypogonadal, like I was, this was called. Um, and so I was like, wow, this is really interesting. So I, then I started going back to the doctor and having my testosterone rechecked because you don't want to just do one test because it varies so much day to day. And you know, if you have a bad night's sleep, it can crash down. So you really want to know like what your baseline levels are. And I started seeing endos again a couple of years later um, and consistently having my testosterone be you know, 100 to 150 nanograms per deciliter. Wow. And I was like, wow, this is, this is horrible. This is really low. Um, and so you know, my options at that time were to... Uh, you know, I, I, I contemplated it for almost a year before starting. Um, I worked with several different doctors, got a lot of second opinions, um, and ultimately decided, you know, cause when you start testosterone replacement therapy, it's something you do for life because it shuts down your endogenous production. You can do what's called a PCT post cycle therapy and try to restart your natural production, but it's never going to be the same. Um, so really it's something you, you have to be comfortable with doing for the rest of your life and managing. And, you know, it, it's not all great upside. There are a lot of great benefits that come from it, but you know, for one, you have to inject yourself usually multiple times a week Two, it's expensive. Three, you have to get blood work every like three to six months. You can have side effects if you go too high or too low. So it's, it's a lot to manage. Um, but I made the decision like this will improve my quality of life. This is important for my health, for my bone density. Um, and so I started that in uh, 20, 2017, I believe. Um, and I've been on testosterone replacement since now for, for five years um, under the advisement of a doctor. Um, and that really helped me put on muscle. Um, surprise, surprise. And so about three years later from the first bone density scan, um, I think it was like January of 2018. I had another one done, same center, same, same machine. Three years, um, almost all on the carnivore diet and um, starting testosterone replacement therapy. And I had gained 28 pounds of lean body mass and lost 16 pounds of fat. Wow. So yes, I was a hard gainer, but my hormones were definitely holding me back. Um, and so that was like, I felt really validated. My, my bone density scores were back in the normal range, um, which is incredible. So yeah, I, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but um, hopefully that answers your question about kind of being a hard gainer. <laughs> wow. No, that's fantastic. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't really appreciate with true resistance training. I mean, I'm holding a plastic pen in my hand and if I hold it at the ends and kind of flex it back and forth, it still retains the shape of a pen, but there's some bending, there's some flexion there. And I think that's so important. If you think of like the femur in a leg press or something, when that's under load, those bones are under a lot of stress and they have to get stronger. That's part of the, the signal that, you know, the body will send to you when you're under load. That is very challenging is you need to increase your strength. You need to increase muscle and muscle fibers. You need to increase the, the connective tissue and, and make that stronger. And bone density has to improve as well. So, so many benefits come from that type of strength training. I'm curious to know how did your training protocols evolve over time? Yeah. So I went from the super slow, high intensity training, and then I discovered um, somebody I'd followed for a while um, through the high intensity space named Abel Shabai. I'm definitely mispronouncing his last name, but it's C-S-A-B-A-I. Um, I believe he lives in uh, 
Hungary or Bulgaria. And he um, has a fantastic YouTube channel where he interviews a lot of researchers and experts. And he had some people from the high intensity training community, like Dr. James Steele and Doug McGuff on his podcast. He was talking about his training evolution. And he put out this, this program along with um, Borgay Fagerly, um, who was also interviewed on uh, Lawrence Neal's podcast, the, the high intensity corporate warrior podcast that we both used to both listen to. Um, and there, um, you know, they, they put out a program that was kind of in the middle of, you know, typical bodybuilding and high intensity training. It was three days a week. Um, it was still full body. Um, and it was a little bit more volume, but still very short workouts, you know, 30 to 40 minutes. So I did that for like six months and had fantastic results, like phenomenal gains, um, up from what I was doing previously. So I think that's why I think the super slow is just a little, a little bit too little for me. Um, and then, uh, you know, from there I, I hired a coach for the first time, um, an online coach and, you know, he, he had me training four days a week, tried to get me to do five, but I said it was too much. Um, and so I was doing that for a while, um, up until my wedding uh, in 2019. Um, and then we parted ways. Um, I think I worked with him for like nine months and then I, um, worked with another coach who I've had on my podcast long time carnivore, Zach Moore. Um, he's awesome. He's, he's fantastic. He used to do a lot of the programming for the keto gains boot camps, Facebook group. Um, and he's very, very well certified with precision nutrition and has worked with a lot of top athletes. Um, he's a very accomplished personal trainer, very knowledgeable. Um, so I worked with him for a while. And with him, I started doing four days a week and then um, lockdowns kind of happened in the pandemic. And I started doing five because I was just at home <laughs> using, uh, <laughs> you know, my dumbbells and resistance bands. I was like, you know, I think I could squeeze in another day here. Um, and then I, I kind of, you know, went through phases of like, you know, taking some months where I was just managing my own training and kind of cruising. And then, you know, what's funny is Zach was always encouraging me to eat more food and eat more food. And I was so resistant to it. I was like, no, 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 I don't want to get fat. Um, and it's funny, I hadn't like shaved any of my body hair on my chest. I was a very, very hairy guy. Um, and so I didn't actually know how lean I was. Um, and then I went and got like another DEXA scan and it told me I was like, you know, six or 7% body fat, which is probably wow. inaccurate. I, I don't think I was that lean, but, um, you know, I, I, I was like, okay, I, I need to actually like eat up to your point of like, you know, hard gainer. Uh, I was always like, no, do I really need to add calories? Do I really need to add calories? And so finally, um, I started eating more and more, um, and then I, I, I started working with another coach who had me training five days and eventually six a week. And he really helped me progress the nutrition and push my food, um, you know, where I was going from 3,000 to, you know, now I'm eating 5,000 calories a day. Um, and yeah, has been a pretty substantial increase in body weight over that time. You know, I, I think when I was um, working with uh, Zach back around the time of the pandemic, I was about 165 pounds. Um, yeah. So, so at the end of like 2020, I was like 165 and right now I'm about 205. Wow. Um, and I think not getting too, too fat, <laughs> but you know, the goal is to get to kind of do a couple more months of, of bulking and pushing and really purposely putting on muscle. I, I think one thing I've learned is, um, you can't, you know, when you, you first start out weightlifting, you know, for the first year or so, um, and you know, if, if you change your diet too, you change to a carnivore diet or a better diet, you can really improve your body composition without, you know, doing these bulking and cutting cycles. You can kind of recomp, which is awesome. But the more advanced you get, and the further you get in your training career and the more extreme your goals are, um, the more you have to have like intentional periods of eating in a surplus and then periods of cutting weight. And a lot of people are just like always trying to get leaner, always trying to diet in this space. Um, but actually I've gotten to the point where like, I am almost never dieting, always trying to gain more weight. Um, and you know, dieting is the easy part. It's like very easy for me to in six to eight weeks to get very, very lean. 
um, which I haven't had to do, but it, it is very easy. What's actually really hard is eating as much food as I am now. Um, I have like zero appetite, never want to eat. The idea of anything sweet or savory just makes me a little bit nauseous. Um, so yeah, that's that's what it's it's come to at this point. Yeah, totally. No, it's it, it kind of goes both ways. For somebody who wants to lose weight, eating a little less can be uncomfortable because they might be hungrier more often. But on, on the same token, somebody who wants to gain muscle, they have to be like uncomfortably full most of the yeah. time. It's it is yeah. a challenge. I, yeah. I, we, you mentioned something that I think is very important. I think is really misunderstood. Most people, when they think of high intensity training, they already know it's going to be jumping around, throwing things, slamming things. They're thinking of high intensity interval training without, you know, considering high intensity training. So can you describe what you mean when you say high intensity training, what that looks like for you in the gym? Yeah. Yeah. High intensity interval training, I think is fantastic like it's great to get all the people who are doing like an hour of like kind of lazy treadmill walking or jogging to do something a little more progressive and intense and really get your heart rate up um but it's not going to really improve your body composition whether you're um a woman or a man of any age if you want to look better you need to in my opinion lift weights because that's what increases your metabolic rate. It increases, um, you know, how much food you can eat, it makes you stronger. It makes you fitter. It tones your muscles. Um, I, I hate that word, but it, it just makes your muscles more shapely. And when people really think about the physiques they want to look like, you know, they don't want to look like, you know, Mr. Olympia bodybuilder, Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever, but they do want to look lean and fit and healthy. And that involves, uh, muscle. And so um, high intensity training is lifting weights with a very high intensity, taking them, taking your sets all the way to muscular failure where you can't even budge the weight more. Think about doing a push up and you just do push ups until you're pushing as hard as you can off the ground, but you can't even move. You can't even complete the push up. You just kind of fail. That's called muscular failure. Um, so high intensity training is doing that with weights. Whereas high intensity interval training is typically where you have intervals of sprinting or working very hard and then resting. Yeah. Thank you so much for that explanation. When I go into the weight room, you really get to this point of like quivering, you know, you can't move this weight any further. And, and yeah. it, that's really necessary. You really need to send that signal to the body because if you're mm. living inside of what your capacity is, your body just knows that it already possesses the strength that it needs and it doesn't need to get stronger, which can be quite expensive. You're describing lots of calories and lots of, you know, lifting all the time to be able to do that. You know, the body needs a really good reason to do that and pushing it to that failure is so critical. So thank you so much for clarifying yeah. that. Um, okay. So I'm trying to phrase this question the best way that I can. Are carbohydrates necessary to build muscle or are they necessary to build a maximal amount of muscle? Yeah. Great question. They're not necessary to build muscle. Absolutely not. Um, I think Dr. Stuart Phillips, who's, uh, really one of the experts in this field, um, and Dr. Jose Antonio and Sean Baker has shared a lot of this research have shown that you do not need carbohydrates to build muscle. Um, you need training stimulus to build muscle and you need adequate protein. Um, that's really the ingredients for muscle building. Um, carbohydrates, if you want to build as much muscle as you possibly can, I would say carbohydrates are probably necessary. Um, and they make muscle gaining easier. You know, just as people fear insulin spike, um, and the blood sugar from carbs when they're trying to lose weight. Those are things that are actually anabolic. Um, and, and anabolic means amassing tissue and you can be anabolic in gaining fat or you can be anabolic in gaining muscle. And I'd say the difference is, you know, how much you're eating and also, um, if you're lifting weights. So carbohydrates help drive anabolism. They can increase training performance they're not necessary. No, there are many fantastic athletes and physiques who have done very well without them. Um, but I'd say if, if you want to, if your only goal is to gain as much muscle as possible, then yes, you need carbohydrates to do so. Gotcha. And with your coaching that you've had and your knowledge of nutrition, how are you leveraging your carbohydrate intake as far as the amount, but also the way I think of it more critically is the timing. Mm. 
Yeah. A lot of my carbohydrates are around my workouts. Um, so that's pretty important. I'm not, you know, shoveling down huge amounts of carbs when I'm just sitting on my butt working at my computer. Um, and I have a very active lifestyle. You know, I walk 15,000 steps a day. I'm in the gym lifting for an hour and a half or more a day. Um, so my insulin sensitivity is still very, very good. Um, and so I, I've used carbs to fuel my training performance. And um, I see them as a way to just get calories in, like calories in, calories out, obviously, as a hypothesis has some issues, uh, but there is an element of truth to it along with kind of the hormonal hypothesis. But at the end of the day, like I cannot, Scott, me, other people, this may not be true. I cannot gain weight without carbohydrates because for me, it's either I can't eat enough fat without getting digestive issues, or I can't eat enough protein without just sweating profusely and my body saying, Hey, Scott, this is not an energy source. This is, this is a building block. What are you doing? Um, and so I see carbohydrates as just like a way to get in more calories. Yeah. Great. You talked about the carbohydrates around your workout time. What type of carbohydrates are those? Yes. It's usually things that are very easy to digest and don't have a lot of, um, anti-nutrients and don't have a lot of things that are going to mess with my gut. So, you know, I'm not eating a ton of bread or whole grains or pizza or like things like that. You know, carbs to me are like, really, it's just a fuel source. So I want it to be a fuel source that my body can assimilate um, and absorb very easily and and get into the muscle um, and produce muscle glycogen. So for me, that's uh, white rice, or even better, cream of rice, which is essentially um, ground up rice flour that you mix with hot water. And it creates this, um, it's basically like oatmeal without fiber. <laughs> um, but it, it's its the simplest thing. It's one ingredient. You know, there's no, there's no added uh, zinc like a lot of conventional white rice has. Um, there's no iron enrichment. It's just um, plain rice flour. And you mix it with hot water and creates cream of rice. So that's where a lot of it comes from. And then also, um, you know, during my workout, sometimes I'll have a little bit of dextrose powder. Um, again, it's basically like sugar that your body can assimilate extremely quickly. And, you know, when you're doing a very high intensity um, weightlifting workout, like I am, it's very easy for your body to uptake that um, and use it and not store as fat. Yeah, no, that's right. I certainly have noticed that as well with a lot of my clients. You mentioned the number of calories that you're currently consuming. How many meals a day is that split into? Yeah, for me right now, it's six meals a day. Um, You know, it's typically a big breakfast when I wake up around seven. And then I go and work out around uh, nine. Um, You know, I have that that intro workout shake. And I come back and have another big meal, eat again at you know, one, eat again at four, eat again at 7.30. I'll have a like very much smaller meal, like a, a Greek yogurt with some berries um, before bed. So yeah, it's six meals right now. <laughs> I always I always kind of felt a little bad for, you know, the bodybuilders or people that were shooting for hypertrophy and they had to lug around like this giant cooler, usually like on wheels. It was about <laughs> the size of like carry-on luggage that was like divided <laughs> with all these compartments for all the meals that had to be yeah. prepped because it's an incredible amount of food and meals yeah. that you have to consume. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny. It's um, it's convenience of working from home, um, that I can, I can prep my food and I can, you know, batch cook and pre-cook a lot of it. Um, but certainly, yeah, I always made fun of those people and (laughs) thought it was so ridiculous. Um, but I can see why they do it now. It's not because they think that eating more times a day is like better for hypertrophy or you need to do that for muscle protein synthesis. I think it's pretty clear that you don't. It's because, to actually digest that much food, you don't want to be eating two meals a day. Um, like if I skipped a meal and tried to make it like three meals uh, with the amount of food I'm eating, I would my, my stomach wouldn't physically be able to do it. Sure. Um, so that's that's part of why the 
the frequent meal success. Sure. Yeah. Most of the nutrition clients that I work with are what I would consider level one, meaning we're dealing with very simple lifestyle strategies. They're not going to be perfect. They might have a different mood on Tuesday than they do on Friday. And, you know, maybe they eat a pizza on Friday and they have to, you know, kind of work it off, but, but yeah. they can be more flexible where a level two or a level three client, it's like, they don't, they don't get a choice. I just, you have to eat this at this time on this day and they just do it. And you can take away a lot of variety and make things really simple, which for the person who's going through it, yeah, like their taste buds might get really sick of eating the same things over and over, but that's kind of what you have to do. Is that something you've noticed as well? Yeah, I'd say so. And it depends on the goal, right? It depends on, on what you're trying to achieve. You know, if I was in kind of a maintenance period where I'm just trying to you know, maintain my body weight, feel healthy, feel good. I would be a lot more lenient. Um, you know, it's, it's different when I'm trying to push this amount of food and I'm trying to, trying to really make my body gain, gain weight, gain muscle, which it doesn't want to. Um, I have to be more regimented and I have to, um, be on top of it because it's very easy to fall behind. Yeah, definitely. Tell us about supplementation. Are there any supplements that you are using that is showing good results? Yeah, I use creatine. Um, I think that's extremely well-researched and well-documented. A lot of people on the carnivore diet don't need it because they're already getting it through their meat intake, but <laughs> everyone else is not. Um, so creatine actually is incredibly important for brain health, um, for, for memory formation, um, cognitive ability. Um, and there have actually been a lot of studies on vegans and vegetarians who supplement with creatine um, and it improves their their um, cognitive ability and reduces neurodegeneration. Uh, but it also is the most well-researched supplement for helping you um, perform in the gym and build muscle. Um, and it's extremely cheap. It's very, very cheap. Um, so I've, I've always taken that. I think that's really effective. I also like a high quality um, fish oil. I take that every day. Um, it's important for heart health, man, man, managing your lipids. Um, and also I, I just find um, it's really hard to source consistent high quality fish um, and make it a regular part of your diet. You know, you can get some of these wild canned fish, which I think is is great wild canned salmon. Um, there are a lot of great brands out there, but there's always a question of like, are you getting exposure to toxic metals through um, eating it out of the can or the way where the fish come from? So that's always kind of a fear of mine. Um, I used to eat a ton of sardines, uh, but then I kind of freaked out about that. And so I, I just have a fish oil every day now for that. Um, and then I, I take a lot of uh, magnesium. I love magnesium. Um, that's great. Uh, helps with sleep, helps with muscle recovery. And I think a lot of people are, are chronically um, uh, deficient in magnesium, uh, some vitamin D, especially in the winter months. And I still take um, optimal carnivore um, to, because, you know, I'm not eating liver as frequently or organ meats as frequently. So I take that every day as kind of a multivitamin insurance policy, if you will. Um, and yeah, that's, that's mostly it. There's some other random things here and there, but those are, those are the big ones. Gotcha. And so you're able to do all of this without taking any protein powders or BCAAs or anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do use protein powder. Sorry, I, I considered that a little more of a, like a, a food than a supplement. Um, but yeah, I, I have that in some of my meals um, rather than, you know, a, a beef or a chicken, sometimes I'll just have a, a whey protein powder as part of that meal. If I want to digest it more quickly, um, like right after a workout, but that's usually like one meal a day. It's, it's not, I don't have ones with like a lot of fillers. I have like very, very plain protein powders. Um, and yeah, that's, that's about it. That's great. So when I'm talking to somebody about gaining muscle, I'm kind of going through like three phases that kind of need to be repeated over time. And the first is you need to go to the gym. You need to train with that intensity that we talked about before that tells your body mm -hmm. that it needs to increase strength and muscle size. That's step one. Yeah. Step two is now you need to provide your body with the building block so that it can build itself back up. So now we're right. talking about the protein and you're getting plenty of animal protein and supplementing that on the side, which is great. The third part is something you just mentioned, which is the recovery and the sleep. And a lot of people mm. don't realize like when they walk out of a gym, they're walking out of the gym in a way lower state of health than they walked into the gym. 
You know, you're going yeah. in and tearing down your body, but then the body yeah. needs time to build itself back up. So talk about the importance of sleep and recovery. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So you don't actually build muscle in the gym. Yeah, to your point, you you tear it down um, and then the muscle actually needs to repair and, and rebuild. And that's when your muscle is actually built. Um, it's such an excellent point. So um, yeah, I, um, I sleep eight and a half hours a night, uh, very regular sleep and wake times. I manage my sleep hygiene, cool, dark room. Um, I have uh, blue light blockers I put on at night. Um, and I take my sleep very seriously. Um, and that has evolved and, and I've found ways to, to enhance that and improve that. Um, partly the, the magnesium I take magnesium three and eight has really, really helped my sleep. Um, and yeah, just having a good wind down routine, taking a hot shower before bed, all these things really contribute. Um, I also meditate regularly found that really helpful. I just try to keep a relatively low stress life. Um, you know, get out in nature, spend a lot of time walking the dog, playing with the dog, being with my wife, talking to her, um, physical contact is super important and, you know, surrounding myself with, with friends and family. And, um, the other thing I'd say is, you know, a lot of people, I don't know if you found this Casey, but a lot of people go to the gym and they're like trying to hype themselves up. They take their pre-workout, they take their caffeine, they're drinking a bunch of coffee. They're, they have like their music blaring as loud as possible. They're like pumping themselves up for their sets. Um, you know, I, I used to be that way and, and sometimes I still am, but, um, I, I, you know, I don't take stimulants. I don't take any caffeine. My, my body really can't tolerate it. Um, and my sleep has improved a lot since getting rid of it, but also in the gym, you know, I'm very much like, as soon as I finish a set, I try to like return to homeostasis, cool myself down, manage my breathing. I use breathing techniques in and out of the gym. And I really try to get my body back into a parasympathetic state, like relax, cool down, get cortisol down. So I think that's really important as well. Yeah, that's great. What a great explanation. I think it is important to keep yourself in that lower you know, cortisol state more often so that the body can be in that repair process. I see people get such better results when they approach it that way. This is something that, you know, takes a long time. And I get a little worried when people have a specific goal or especially with bodybuilding, like a specific event, if they're not, you know, too, if they're not too unfocused on the day-to-day -day and the journey and they, they get, they get way too focused on the actual event itself. And I think those people end up kind of disappointed when the event comes and goes, you know, they were just, you know, slogging through all these workouts. So they didn't even, you know, really be mindful of or enjoy at all. They just thought that was the drudgery to get to the goal and the goal comes and goes and it's gone. So talk to us about how it has been for you to remain patient through this process and how to really enjoy the process. Yeah, I love, I love this question. So my, like I said, my goals have kind of shifted for a while. It was like, I, I'll be frank, like my goal was to not hate myself, hate what I see in the mirror, <laughs> which is sad, but um, I think is like a, a reality for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, now I've come to a place, which is really awesome, where um, I'm actually like very content with what I see in the mirror and how I look. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I used to say, I will be happy when I get to this you know, body weight, this body fat, this, um, but I was happy before I got there and I'm happy now. And you know, what I love about the gym, um, is, is not the goal. It's, it's, there's so many aspects of my life at least where the feedback from effort to results is, um, very murky. So, you know, the gym or like fitness is definitely not typically a place for instant gratification. You know, you, you do something, you have to work for a while to, to see a change, see a result. But if you work and you do it intelligently, you do get the result. It's like, usually that works out at work, especially in corporate environments. You know, it's a little bit different if you're an entrepreneur, you could work really hard at some things, some projects, you know, it doesn't really pan out doesn't become that important. There's politics. A lot of things kind of get in the way. And, you know, it can be the same with, you know, 
friends or, you know, social life. Like, and, and I come from, from rowing where it was very direct. Like you work, you see the effort, you see your number on the ergometer, you see your, your score improving. Um, and I got really addicted to that, to that, you know, drive for, for betterment, um, and personal improvement. And, um, I think that's what I love about the gym now. I love going and seeing, you know, me improve, get stronger week to week and not always week to week, you know, sometimes month to month. And I see myself, um, get through a really hard workout. I'm proud of that. I see some of the changes in the mirror. Um, and, and that's where I take a lot of pride is in the process and my level of commitment and my discipline. Um, and then, and then having that, that, place where I can apply myself and, and it gives back to me. What kind of elevator speech would you give to one of your listeners who's following a low carbohydrate or carnivore type diet, but they also want to gain muscle? What is something that you could summarize from this conversation that you would want to tell one of your listeners? Yeah, I, I would say, um, hire a coach, hire a good coach. Um, that's the first thing I would do. Um, you know, they're probably, maybe you're doing everything right, but there are probably things you're doing in the gym, things you're doing with your sleep things you're doing with your nutrition, even without adding carbohydrates that you could improve, that would improve your results. Um, and you know, you can do a lot of this research on your own, but you can also spend hours and hours doing this, or you can hire someone for a month or two and, and have them help you. And, and, you know, there are a lot of bad coaches out there, so you have to be careful, but, um, if you hire a good coach, um, it'll, it'll help you a lot. Um, and then the other thing I would say is like, you know, kind of the point of your last question, you know, kind of fall in love with the process and, and, you know, people say it about weight loss all the time, like find the non-scale victories. I would say the same about building muscle, find the, you know, non-mirror, however you're, however you're measuring your muscle building, find, find the other victories, you know, in the gym and the, in it with, you know, how, how much weight you're lifting with how you're improving your form, whatever it is. Um, and, and try to focus on that a little bit more as well. I love that. What a great answer. Scott, As on behalf of all of your listeners, as one of your avid fans and avid listeners, I really appreciate the time you took to teach all of us about you and your process and the things you've learned along the way. I think this will really help a lot of people. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for allowing me to take over your show for a little while and ask a few questions. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Thanks for the idea. Happy to share. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't normally like, <laughs> like to talk about myself for this long and, and um, some people will find this boring, but I do get a lot of questions on it. So hopefully this will be something I can point people to. And, you know, if anyone has questions about any of this, please message me at any time. I'm always happy to help. Always um, love hearing from people. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at carnivorecast or go to carnivorecast.com. You can also email me at info at carnivorecast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.